You are listening to episode 57 of the Remind Yourself podcast. Welcome to the Remind Yourself podcast, the podcast for physician moms just like you who want to ditch mom guilt, stop yelling, and start enjoying their lives today. I'm your host, Michelle Chestovich, certified life coach, family physician, and mom of four. If you want to overcome overwhelm for once and for all, this is the place for you. Why, hello, Mama Docs. Welcome back. I am so excited to introduce a most wonderful guest. We met probably a couple months ago on social media as I meet many wonderful folks. And just the conversations that we've been having online and via, you know, messaging, this is a woman that I thought to myself, I have to get her on my podcast. So without further ado, I will introduce her and then we'll let her tell us a little bit about herself. So welcome, Dr. Jillian Riggert. Yeah, it's so nice to be here, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. I recall it was about two months ago, I did a post expressing how sleep deprivation was dangerous. And in fact, I think I said that being up for 24 hours was akin to having a blood alcohol level of 0.01. That's how our brain functions. And immediately you responded and you sent me a message. And I just want you to tell us a little bit more about your passion about all things physicians, but particularly this um, information around like sleep in our brains and stuff like that. Yeah, thank you so much. And it certainly opened the door to something that I've really been kind of hiding under a rock and feeling a lot of shame and grief about. And the reason that is, is because sleep deprivation was the strongest factor that led to my development of pretty severe depression and suicidal ideation. And so the result of sleep deprivation is the main significant contributing factor to what caused my whole life to be different than what I originally had planned. And in that, and accepting that it causes me a lot to process. And so in having you post something about it, it provided me that moment of time to be like, you know what, you are absolutely right. We need to speak for those that were left silent and to destigmatize talking about sleep as a basic need for us humans and something that is very much neglected in our medical culture. Yes, it's so true. I, I just want to like reiterate, we are humans, people, and we need sleep. It's not optional. And I know my listeners have heard me talk about this before because, again, my sister died a year ago to suicide, and I really believe that sleep deprivation was a huge component. And so when you reached out to me and could kind of give me a behind-the-scenes look of what it was like to go week after week with just feeling sick, tired, and dreading call, I thought to myself, wow, what a brave woman to speak up about this, number one. And number two, it helped me understand a little bit more about maybe what was going on in my sister Gretchen's mind when this was going on, because clearly you're not thinking straight. You've then subsequently gone on and written many articles that I've read in Kevin MD, which are phenomenal. You've become this like prolific writer. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you always have been. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, writing has been something that I use a lot to process, uh, especially as a lot of the things that I've gone through in life resulted in isolation. And so when you're isolating, you have many outlet choices. That outlet choice can be substances. For me, it's sometimes included over-exercising. It's included undernourishment. And one thing that has been helpful and actually a positive coping skill has been writing. Um, So writing helped me during the time that I was in residency. um, I used it a lot and reflecting back on those times can be challenging, but also reflecting back on those times allowed me to really see that my brain was not thinking clearly while sleep deprived. And it really allowed me to step back and say, what's the truth here? And to accept and to acknowledge how your brain can be hijacked and how scary your thoughts can become from that seemingly simple neglect of sleep. Right. It seems like, again, we're trained to do this, like, oh, no big deal. I'll catch up later, whenever that is, right, when you're in medical training. But it's really dangerous. Yeah. And and also, I was somebody that did not sleep long hours prior to joining surgery. So I thought I'll have no problem. I was a long distance runner and I thought I can do long hours. And it was the sleep deprivation paired with lack of autonomy of your time, lack of nourishment, high stress because you are in a high demand work. It was something that I had not yet been able to prepare to say, you know, I had a lot of guilt about not knowing that I would struggle to function as a surgical resident. And so I thought, what is wrong with me? And I looked around and not a lot of people were talking about it. And I looked around and people would complain about call, but they wouldn't say that they were having dark thoughts of taking their own life on call. Like I'm hearing it more now because I'm listening and I'm looking. Yes. But I wasn't hearing that. And, and the reason I speak now is because it took one surgical attending and she told me, when I don't sleep well, or when I'm on call, I have those same thoughts. I struggle too. And she helped to snap me out of just thinking it was me and to step back just enough, get enough breathing room to say, maybe I need help. Maybe I'm not broken. Maybe, maybe just maybe I'm not alone. Wow. I'm so grateful that you heard those words. And this is why we're talking about it. This is why you and I and so many others are so passionate about spreading the word saying we're not broken. If we're having thoughts that are dark, we're not broken. If we're thinking we can't hack it in these, you know, whether it's in residency training or just out in life as attendings, right? It's tough. And so to hear that, yes, this can happen and to take that step back and reflect and have some other thoughts come into your head. I'm so grateful that you did that. That must have been very, well, my thought would be, it would have been kind of scary. Tell me, what was it like for you? It was so scary because in medicine, we're taught if we seek help, it's our licensure that is at risk. And for me, my, it was my military career that was at risk for getting help for med, uh, mental health concern. And I held on to my negative thoughts and my concerns about taking my life for a really long time. And at that point, I had felt that risking my career felt it would cause such a detriment to my ego 
and potential risk to my licensures. Like I at some points had thought taking my life, it sounded so much easier and the potential ramifications of what it would mean to get help. And that to me is such a problem. The fear of getting help at risk of your life because you're afraid of the ramifications of our licensure of, you know, for me, it was my military career and that did end. And that is illuminating and also worked out just fine for me. You know, like I have more control of my life and ultimately that has helped me to heal and lean into the things that I find valuable in life. And when I was letting go of surgery, so I got into surgery, it was something that we are taught in society. You should do the thing of highest regard in your mind and in dentistry that was often seen as surgery. And my gut was thinking, I don't know if surgery is the best fit for me. I'm super sensitive. I really love listening to patients. So, you know, the things that I was knowing and hearing in my heart at the time of my choice to pursue surgery, I didn't listen to. I chose to value the perception and the status of what other people thought was most significant and important and valued in our society mm. over my own voice. And, and there was a, something that was brought to my attention by a psychologist that was helping me during this period of time. And he said, I can't tell you who the most famous oral surgeon is. And he said, during school, I had a friend that went into medicine and he said, you know, you've got the grades. Why don't you go into medicine? He's like, I don't want to go into medicine. I want to do psychology. I'm like, that's the perspective that I wish I had when I was an undergrad, when I was really interested in psychology, because I crave, I look at the psychologist now and I remember being so envious in the air force. I'm like, I just wish I was doing that because that's what I really want to do. And here I am doing surgery and I really don't want to do this. And then you pair that with the stress. Like the end goal isn't something I want. I'm realizing that the arrival fallacy is always there and I'm not yet getting that satisfaction that I'm seeking at every level that I move up, you know? So it was that disillusionment disillusionment that all came to a head. And then at that point, you're so exhausted and you can't think straight. Yeah. Just, I can see why people, because I've had other people reach out besides yourself, get to a point where you think it might just be, I don't know if easier is the answer, but just to like be done with it all. It's the relief of the psychic that like, for me, it was that experience of I'm in so much emotional agony. I don't necessarily want to die. I want that pain to go away. And it's like that pain. It, for me, like anorexia was another way of calming that pain and like numbing that pain. And like I mentioned, it can come in the form that numbing can come in the form of a lot of things can come in the form of substances. It can come in the form of over-exercising. It can come in the form of eating, of not eating, like fill in the blanks. And so when we're noticing those and feeling like we can't ask help for help, because there's that sense of shame and asking for help, because we should know everything for right. the doc, we should know. Nope, we shouldn't know everybody. We should not know. And so what I'm hearing you say, it's almost like you just feel trapped. You have so much pain and you feel so trapped. It's like, what are my options? It's not like you. we can sit down and have a conversation like, okay, what are the things, what are all the different options, right? With a healthy brain, you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. So in those moments, I clearly, in my journal, I have two very vivid options. It was either continue surgery or end my life. Those are the black and white thoughts that I had. 
And I went and I have an article, Permission to Pivot. I think it's in that one that it talks about. I went to the psychologist and I was perseverating over these two options. I was like, which one do I choose? And he goes, oh, how about, and he named a third option. And I go, I have mind blown, like literally had never thought of that. And to take a step further, when I was sleep deprived, one very illuminating moment for me was when I went to go sign a consent form and I forgot my name. I could not write my name. And wow. I was like, this is sleep deprivation. This is sleep deprivation. This is alarming. And I took myself out of that procedure because I felt that the risks of performing it were way too high. And I remember I took uh, a medical leave shortly after that. Um, but my medical leave was stimulated by the dark, dark thoughts. And when I had a plan was actually when I had, I had a plan. And then that attending came into my life serendipitously. Yeah. I'm so glad she showed up. I believe in spirits whispering. Some little spirit whispered in her ear and she came to you and said what you needed to hear, right? Like serendipity, right? Like I think it doesn't happen accidentally that those things happen. At least that's my thoughts on the matter. And I'm so grateful that you were able to just for a moment see, hey, this isn't me. This is what her brain does as well when she's sleep deprived and perhaps I need some help. So what a beautiful lifeline. Yeah. And also when we make a decision, like for families to know, I even censored myself in my mental health appointment. Sometimes when you just have that plan, it can be such a split decision or it can be something that you know that if you were to voice it, people will set the alarms and get you help and you don't want anymore. And it's like, I often hid the extent of what I was thinking and experiencing. And that to me now, it like wasn't, I wasn't going into those appointments and saying, I'm going to hide this. It just was like, I know for me working in medicine, I know what sounding the alarms could look like. And I felt like if I go to the emergency department, will that be the solution? Or will it just risk my medical licensure without giving me relief? Like I knew that and to our detriment sometimes. Right. right? Sometimes we know too much or we know the Mm -hmm. incorrect things that people think that their license will be affected. And, you know, it's different in every state. We're working to make those changes. So we don't have to answer those questions about having mental health issues on, you know, our licensure and things like that. But it's something that we certainly need to work on. So having made this pivot for you, Tell us what that's looked like and what advice may you have for someone else who's feeling either stuck or just overwhelmed with where they're at, thinking that they have to either stay the course or hopefully nothing horrible, but just they're feeling really that they just have to maybe just stay the course and be miserable. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I did some things right and I did some things that I would choose to do differently and recommend differently. So things that I thought were helpful was taking myself out of the environment with a plan for, I had mental health appointments that were scheduled. So I had a plan for what that looked like when it came to like, what, who would, who would be the appropriate support system to really help me navigate if I step out of this environment. So for me, it was the surgical residency. I step out of this to really get a clear idea of what are the factors that are contributing to this psychic and are they factors that I can fixed with my mindset or are they inherent factors of what is the circumstance that I'm currently in? Cause when I went for my first medical treatment, it was 
I was having really high highs with the anxiety and then I would just crash into depression. So I was offered a mood stabilizer and I stepped back. I had a moment. I was like, but I'm not eating. I'm not sleeping. And if I take a mood stabilizer, you know, medications can really help people. But for me, I faced that I did try medications. It was more of the antidepressants and that actually stimulated me and made me have more suicidal thinking. So just to be aware that medications can really help people, but also make sure you're really tied in with someone that can monitor that if you do try medications and then stepping out of the environment to really get some rest. Because as we were talking, trying to think about your plan for the rest of your life while you're so sleep deprived, like when you're so sleep deprived, that's when I would recommend just give yourself some self-compassion. It's easier said than done. But trying to like think about, oh my gosh, I'm in this desperate state or I'm exhausted and I'm trying to figure out long-term plans. I would just try to think about next best step. Yeah. One thing I did that was necessary at the time for me, I thought, but also didn't allow me to rest was the day after I got medically retired from the Air Force, the, literally day after, and I resigned from oral surgery, I started a new residency. And so the pause and that rest and rejuvenation period to like get my grounding, I didn't allow for it. And at that time I was grieving because during that whole, everything that was happening with me, I lost my ex-boyfriend passed away. Suddenly my co-resident passed away and my Air Force commander passed away. So they were very close people in my journey at that time that all passed away and I wasn't ready to face that grief. And then I lost the identity of everything I had worked for. And then I was facing struggles with anorexia. So I was losing in trying to recover from anorexia, losing that identity of what that eating disorder meant for me. And I, I used working my next residency as kind of a buffer, meaning I used it in order to not really process the things that would have been helpful for me to process at the time. That sounds like an awful lot going on at once. Yeah. Yeah. It, just recalling it feels like an awful lot. Yeah. Did you have a therapist at that time? I do. Yes. I, I actually am in touch with her still. So the therapist I had when I was facing, I had such a great therapist when I was an intern. He was really good fit for me and I'm grateful. You know, we talked about serendipity. It's like he, I had been in therapy for a long time and I got paired with just the right person. And then after he left, he was uh, in my institution, then he left. And then I found another great fit for me and she's no BS and I'm no BS. I'm like straight to the point. Just tell me no fluff. You know, nice. and I just said, this is what I'm thinking. And she said, how about this? And like, this is what I'm thinking. And she would, she is so, uh, I just adore her. And I would for, you know, for eating sort of patients, I have a very limited amount of people I feel comfortable referring or like suggesting. And she is one of them just because I trust her with my life. And I literally trusted her with my life. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's so important that you have someone you feel comfortable with and can just Yeah. You can have no BS, just say whatever is on your mind and not feel like you need to filter. Right. I think that's so important. That's fantastic. So that's, I think, really helpful to realize like there isn't number one, one set way to take a step back, but number two, like perhaps really just taking a step back because when you're in it to make a decision that you think is going to affect the rest of your life, it it just might not be the, the best one. It makes you feel kind of stuck. So really taking a step back, and I know that's scary for people. They're like, I just can't, I can't. I'm like, 
Yes, you can. And again, I'm just going to be very emphatic about it. Like, even if you just need a day or two to like, at least get some sleep to reset your brain to then figure out, do I need a leave of absence or whatever? Please do so as I've shared before, but I don't think it's, I don't think I can say it too often. The last time I spoke to my sister, she was telling me how exhausted she was. She had a headache and nausea. It had only had, I don't know, six hours of sleep or something in the previous several days. And I said, sweetie, you have to call in sick tomorrow. You just, you need a day off. You're not well. And she said, no, I can't. We're short at work. So many women physicians have this mentality. And what I'll tell you is it's just not worth it. Now, we're not going to be calling in sick all the time. I get it. But when you're really feeling that sick or you're having dark thoughts, please take a break. I would say, please reach out to someone that you trust and let them know that you're having thoughts. But I know that that can be hard to do. Do you have any tips or wisdom on that, Jillian, that you can share with folks? Yeah, everything I write about in Kevin MD are things that I really had a hard time talking about. So I was like, you know what? I am going to first ask myself, why? What is the risk of talking about this? What is the risk of not for me? And so I left everything that happened that I mentioned was in 2017. And I had that grieving period where I didn't show up. Um, I hid behind a social media account of my dog. And I was just surviving. And last year I crashed again. You know, I had tried my first attending job and it didn't work out as I was envisioning. And I used the same coping skills. I was sleep deprived. I was undernourished. I was looking at life like, is this all there is? And I chose to try the opposite and I got uncomfortable and I got vulnerable and you find your people. Like there are so many people that are there to support you that are authentic, that have been so helpful finding that tribe and community. And I think it can be hard for me being in a male dominated surgical, you know, white kind of trajectory being in the air force is all male dominated. And for me, I find that it was very healing to find a group of feminine energy, you know, and in surgery, it was challenging because sometimes with the oppression of females, sometimes it can impact females that they then treat other females poorly. And I just remember like, I didn't even feel that I could find community within other females. So I didn't even think it existed. And when I, I don't think I thought much about what am I going to do just to be vocal. I just thought what I'm doing is not working. So the risk of change was no longer higher than the risk of staying the same. My risk of staying the same was not making it. I was like literally staring at, my medical paperwork thinking like this is not looking good. Like I, I know how to diagnose this prognosis. What would it look like to be vulnerable? And it, you know, and one of the people I loved at the time of like thinking this through is Brene Brown. I love her. She is so good. If you don't know who she is, please go find her. Mm -hmm. Yep. And she's introverted like I am. And she did her talk, Ted talk on vulnerability and didn't want anyone to watch it. And I'm like, that's like, if I was living my true authentic self, it's vulnerable and it's raw and you might be too much for some people and those are not your people. But if one person hears my voice and it saves their life. And it will, this conversation, someone will hear and they'll be brave and speak up. This is why 
you and I, I feel like just connected. I mean, you were vulnerable. You reached out to me, you shared your story. And I thought, this is a woman I need to know. She is letting out there. I've been very vulnerable and letting people know my whole grief journey this last year. We've been so open about how my sister died. And I've had people reach out and tell me that they've had thoughts of hurting themselves or they've reached out and gotten help because they've had postpartum depression and had thoughts of hurting themselves, but they remember Gretchen's story. And so I think we need to have these conversations because you guys, this is happening. This is happening and to not talk about it doesn't make it go away. It just perpetuates this myth that we're all fine. Everything's perfect. You know, on social media or at work, everyone's like, everything's fine. Just making it through a hard week because I'll just have to say like, it's not fine. The medical system right now is not fine. Individuals are not doing well. So thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for being so authentic and being so brave and courageous. All those good words that Brene Brown would be so happy that I'm, you know, proud of you, if you will. And I also think for mothers, I know this, a lot of listeners are mothers and like sleep deprivation, your child alone, being a mother, sleep deprivation, like you hear us talking about it as in terms of outside work, but give, you know, I can't, I'm not a mother and I know to me that's something that I'm hyper aware that there is an innate sleep deprivation associated with motherhood. And that to me, it's like, I have so much respect and it's been what I caution because I know my risks of sleep deprivation. And so I will openly say like, for me right now, I know that we need to give extra self-love and compassion and the challenges that I face in that question of am I able to tolerate another period of sleep deprivation and what does my future like what are the things that I should be seeking in my life and how can I support mothers to feel their value and that they are worthy of sleep you know you hear us and trying to juggle whatever but man almighty you know I think that's that's a really good point and thank you for bringing it up because again I don't even, I haven't even brought that up with my sister's story, but she had three young children, including an 18 month old. So she'd, you know, do her shift from six in the morning till 11 o'clock at night. And then her little one would be up for another two hours. And yeah. so like, yeah, it, it is true. And even if you're not on call, like little ones wake up and people feel like they should be cleaning up their house or doing laundry or some crazy thing when I'm like, you really just need to go to bed. Someone recently came to me uh, with some, coaching work that she wanted to do. And I'm like, that's great. And then she told me she had a little one who was waking up still three, four times a night. I'm like, before we do any mindset stuff, you really just need some sleep, mm-hmm. right? Because when your brain is exhausted and we're not meeting the basic needs of nourishment and sleep, like no positive mindset's going to get you out of that, right? Yeah. And it's how about, how do we take away the guilt and like, how do we normalize really yeah. taking care of ourselves? Because you know, when it comes to sitting on burnout committees and wellness talks and things like that, I'm like, how are we going to implement this in a way that's sustainable and also doesn't then, I feel like there's such a conflict in the paradigm of like, we need to increase our views, you need to see more patients, and also then here's physician wellness, and like, we're going to, so what thing that was harmful for me was knowing what I needed and knowing it wasn't obtainable in my position, having a floodlight on what I needed and knowing it wasn't possible. So when I was more aware of what I was lacking, and then I felt I wasn't able to get it, like I remember that stress. And it did help me decide that I would leave. But I just, you know, I think if we're going to recommend in in our committees within our institutions, physician wellness, we need to make sure we're also giving the space for them to pursue those wellness techniques. 
Yeah, it can't be in some like fantasy land where we only need three hours of sleep a night. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and crap then- sleep at that, right? Because oh when, my I gosh. On, when I was on call, I had that. If I was on call, like the day before I was on call, I'd have the anticipatory anxiety. Me then too. When I was on call, I'd have the anticipatory anxiety. Then when I was post call, I would have that like exhaustion from being so high, you know, high stimulus and high sympathetic activity going. And I remember too, like the things that we think about for me when I was on call, it was, I need to be available always. And it's questioning that sense of urgency and like what is true and what's just that culture that we've developed during our burnout committee today. We're also talking about responding to emails. What's the cultural timeline? Like how can we, create a culture within our own little systems that have more boundaries that are set so that we don't feel like we're constantly on all the time. I think that's a really huge point. And while I always say like, yes, the system, you know, needs to change. Medical culture needs to change. Like, I just like, like to empower one woman at a time to say, Hey, that's not going to work for me. Or I'm going to make the decision that I'm not checking emails and I will just let people know. I check them between these hours. And then it starts to become this ripple effect. People say like, oh, I can do that. Like, I don't have to look at emails at 10 o'clock at night or what have you. That it starts to just become more acceptable. Because some people are more brave to take that step forward. But first, people need to feel empowered to like, I am worthy. I can stand up and say, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Right? I don't want to work evening shifts just because you're coming down and telling me that that's what I need to do now. Like, do I have a choice in the matter? You always have a choice in the matter. And I think yeah. you're such a beautiful example of that. Like you do have a choice and sometimes it's a really tough choice, but you do have a choice. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes to even the emails, it's setting the example and it can be hard when the culture is set from the top down. And yes. I had my chair, he said, I check emails twice per day and this is when I do it. And it sticks out to me. And then I had a, another boss that, you know, we were having meetings from nine to midnight and I was going and I went before I was even paid and hired. And like, I just remember that to me showed me where my boundaries need to be developed. And that if that's the boundary of the culture, either the culture needs to change in that department or it's not the culture for me, because that's not what I, those were, that's a, a conflict of values. Yes. I think the value issue is really important and it does help, I think, get rid of the guilt. I'm working on a talk that I'm going to be doing coming up about getting rid of guilt as physician women. And I really think that when we bring it back to like, what are my top two or three values? And when we can use that as a filter, then we can have less guilt. Like, no, this just doesn't align with who I am, whether it's with guilt or whether it's just with boundaries about what's acceptable in a job situation or where you want to stand up. It really comes back to like, what's most important to me? which I give us all permission to think about, you know, so often we don't think about it. We're on that treadmill running really hard, made it to med school, made it through our training. Here we are in attending land. And like, we forget that we can stop and look around and decide, is this fit with what I wanted my life to be? Absolutely. And even within the job. So I'm oral medicine. Most of my patient niche are head and neck cancer patients who are dealing with a lot in their diagnosis and their potential treatment toxicities that result in long-term consequences such as dryness of their mouth and quality of life impacts. And it can be so distressing to the patient that they would rather not live with the distressing consequences of their treatment. And so my role is to help them understand and to prevent these problems before they develop. So counseling is a really big thing that I value 
in a recent role that I had, I was given not enough time to even listen and ask questions to the patient. It was that in and out, in and out, in and out. And I was like, I was having, I'm like, I cannot do the quality of work that is important for me to be here. And I would voice that and I would try to get that position to be modified in order to improve the experience that I had with the patient so that I could prioritize really listening and being there. Holding space for patients is like my top value. And I know we're often not given that time. And there are opportunities and there are places where I can find the institution that does value that time with the patient. And like my job now is exactly preventing oral toxicities from radiation for head and neck cancer patients. And when I was considering the conflict of like, I'm trying to go in and I don't feel that I am doing the work that I would say is good quality work for the patient. And I felt like, I was an outsider and I wasn't living up to the expectations of the institution. There are thoughts that I hear from people that are having a similar circumstance and it's, I'm not enough. They're hearing that, like you're not holding your weight. They're hearing that. And if you step back to say, well, I'm not holding my weight in what the RVUs that they want in like the numbers that they want, but what am, what, it, what am I doing? So I was pausing to say, I need more time with the patient And no, I'm not going to add more patients because I already feel like I'm not giving the quality of work that is valuable to my integrity. So we get that moral injury, right? If we're that we can't do that. And there's, you know, um, so I hear, you know, with, I'm also, you know, in coaching and you're in coaching groups and you just hear that. It's like, I feel like I'm not doing enough, but maybe we are, our values are in conflict. Yes. But to at least give yourself that nod of like, I am enough for my patients. And what am I doing? I always love asking my clients, like you, you think this, but like, what did you do today? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. You helped all of these people, right? Like there's so many things that we don't give ourselves credit for that, you know, we could have a whole conversation about that, but it really does come back to like what our values are. And for you, what I'm hearing is really to be there and listen to your patient. Like you said, to hold space for them and offer them options and not just run them through the mill because that does create moral injury. And I hear so many Docs saying that not only is it the quantity of work uh, and the effect on our lives as humans, but just that we're not even able to do what we wanted to go into medicine to do. Yeah. And I have been a patient of the system and I knew how it felt to be alone in a room and to be scared. And it's like, I don't want a patient to feel alone and scared. And I think that's why it became such a high priority because I didn't have cancer. I had a serious diagnosis with medical complications. And I think the boundary that I've created is that I had a different, but similar experience. And uh, so I just want to be there. And I mean, I wish I could just get paid to sit with patients all day and be there. And maybe in the future, you know, that's a role that I could figure out. But I remember in medical school, I had a patient that came in that had, she thought she had gallbladder problems and it turned out to be pancreatic cancer. And I was probably a third year, you know, I'm saying it like that. Like, where did I need to be, quote unquote, need to be? I didn't need to be anywhere. No one was really anticipating or relying on me at the time you're there to learn. Um, So I sat with this patient. She was the first person I rounded on. And I sat and I listened. I didn't say much because I didn't want to cross boundaries to the wrong thing. You know, I just sat because her family wasn't always uh, able to be there. And then I'd go the rest of the rounds. And then I would, you know, sit just for a couple minutes before I left. And at the end of the rotation, I was talked to about spending too much time in that patient's room. 
And, uh, you know, it is, and it, it is what it is with the way that it was presented to me, but I paused and I was proud of myself at the time. I was like, man, I had to do it again. You know, and it was like, yes. First- and you made such an impact on this woman's life during probably her most terrifying time of her life. Right. And her remaining probably not too much longer on earth. Right. What a gift. Yeah. I think there's something special about those early years when we do have more time. And again, in retrospect, like I remember as a third year thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm doing enough, but really being there for people. I've learned through my coaching journey and especially in this last year with just grief, just having people be with you Mm -hmm. is just so healing just to listen. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear like things that I went through and things I hear when we're in such a deep grief that people struggle to know what to say sometimes. So what I get with anorexia that's been very hard for me is that people can leave me if they can't tolerate the challenges and complexities of anorexia and the pain it causes. I can't leave my own brain and myself and I've been isolated and that's where writing comes from because it was like, I was so alone. And so for when people lose children or people like your sister or people that are just in the state that you can't understand to just be there, not run from it, you know, um, people didn't need to know what to say. And you, you know, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. No, I agree. And I, I guess with, with grief, I just have the understanding, like, of course people don't know and, I have such grace for people if they bumble around, but if even someone tries to say something like I'm not offended, like the worst thing has happened in my life. Nothing that someone's going to say to me is going to, at least for me, make it any worse. I mean, maybe it's these couple years of coaching that I had under my belt that allowed me to have those thoughts. I'm like, I'm not going to be offended. And, and I get it. That's it's uncomfortable for people. It's like a disease and people don't want to come around. And yet I've been very amazed and pleased and grateful about how many people do come up and just say like, I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry for your loss. I mean, you never know what to say when someone is given a diagnosis or someone loses someone or some other tragedy befalls them. You don't need to have the right thing to say, but just to be there and to listen, right? I think that's, that's, that's the theme I'm hearing again and again, to, to be vulnerable and speak up and say, you know, I'm, I imagine this must be tough for you. I'm here that sort of thing. And not to wait to, to the point when you think you have the best thing, like until you think you figured it out, because I hear also it's, I'm planning to call them. It's on my list of to do's and my perception on this, I have a sense of urgency. If I have someone that means a lot to me to call, to answer now, which wasn't always the case, but in surgical residency, I was on call overtired and this is where I have some resentment towards being on call that I'm working through. And, you know, it's just noticing that I value the opportunity to be awake enough to answer someone's call. So my ex-boyfriend called me to check on me because I was depressed because I was sleep deprived. I had told his dad I was struggling with that. So he called me to check on me on a Wednesday night and I had just gotten off a prolonged period of being on call. So I took a melatonin to help regulate my sleep. And I was like, I'm so tired. I'm just going to call him back tomorrow. And I texted him, and that was the Thursday morning. And the next text I got was about his passing from his sister that Sunday night. And it's something I just hold because I loved him so much. You know, it's not to say answer every phone call you get. That's not it. It's like 
when you have that urge to call someone that really means something to you and you have that urge to like pick up or avoid someone, even though, you know, it's a very important connection. It's like, you know what you will value and what you'll prioritize. I did prioritize him and I slipped in that moment and I will never, you know, I will try, I should never say never, but I try very hard to prioritize answering phone calls and I'm certainly not the best at this, but it changed my perspective and that sense of urgency and the priorities in life. I, I say I have a low BS tolerance because I, you know, for better or for worse, the things that are just like the check boxes that we have to do. I'm in academia and I struggle sometimes with doing things that are high value in, intrinsically and are just part of what we do in academia. I'm like, but do we have to, does it have to be right. this way? Do we really have to do all of these things? Yeah. All this structured data, is this really necessary? Yeah. Is it necessary and what's the value? Um, so answering that for ourselves is very important. Yes. I think that's so good. Such So many good themes here. I'm hearing, I'm just going to recap and then I'm going to ask you a few more questions. Just like with people in our life to be and to listen and to be vulnerable because that's what opens the dialogue. Sometimes it's really scary and Uh, Shout out to my dad, who I often will shout out. He, you know, of course, lost his daughter. And he said, how do I, you know, even talk to my friends about how things are going? And I brought up Renee Brown. I said, sometimes dad, just leading with something that's going on in your life. Hey, this has been tough for me. I'm really feeling sad about this. How are things going for you to kind of lead with that? That's not something that many of us were taught. Certainly my father growing up was not taught that. And it's something that we can all learn and practice, of course, in safe little spaces, right? Brene Brown talks about that, how there's the inside people who can really, we can share our heart with, and then it kind of ripples out. You don't need to tell someone at the grocery store all the things, but to have one or two people that you can open up to have these conversations, just, it makes, I think, going through life a lot easier. Love to say shout out to Michelle's dad. And I also think in being vulnerable, it allows other people to be vulnerable. Yes. And and I also, you know, to your point is sometimes my vulnerability is used against me and that people will see it as a place to target and like manipulate and use. And then I find out more about myself, right? I find, Mm -hmm. hmm, here's where I'm going to create a stronger boundary. And I was just in a coaching session where a genius coach told me that you don't know your boundaries until they're crossed. And now I'm like, well, that was crossed. And now I know what information into whom I might share it. And we might not always get it right. We might think someone's a safe space and they're not. People are telling you a lot about their life. Don't judge them. Maybe they just really need someone to talk to, especially during COVID. Yeah, it's been a hard couple of years. I and mean, we didn't even bring that up. That could be a whole talk for another day. It's been a hard couple of years. I want to have you share. We mentioned that you've got several places that people can read things. How will people find some of you? Because I've read some of your amazing articles. How can people find and get your beautiful writing and hear your wisdom? How can they find that? I certainly submit a lot to Kevin MD now. I have uh, enjoyed meeting him. He's a very nice person. Um, And that's also encourage anyone else who might be wanting to share their voice with him. Such a great person, great platform. Uh, I also have created a group for anyone that's considering a career transition on Facebook. It's permission to pivot. 
It's about healing uh, life and career transition support. And that's a place where you're just authentically you, you show up, you say what you need, you say who you are, you say, you know, if you are a coach, it could be a place where you connect with people that need you. I have my own coaching blog. It's on jillianrigertcoaching.com and has my blog link there. And then with the Permission to Pivot group, I just created a blog, which is permissiontopivot.com. And I created the blog because people were having a hard time using their voice. So I created it with the purpose of having guest blogs and bios so we can just normalize talking about hard things, normalize supportive community, and just have a place where people can use it as a stepping stone. You know, if it's a smaller platform and they're not sure they want to post on Kevin MD, it could be that first, hey, I'm just going to share it there. And you take those turtle steps and then all of a sudden you feel that you can come out into the world and be a little bit more exposed in a great way. I love it. Those little turtle steps. That's so sweet. And the community, to know you're not alone, I think that makes such a huge difference. And people are really resonating with your work. I have seen that Permission to Pivot article that you wrote shared so many different places. I mean, it's just phenomenal. I mean, we don't need to look at metrics, but I'm sure it's just like to the moon already (laughs) or beyond. Yeah, it's funny because I have no idea. You know, it's hard to know where and who reads those. I'll get surprised when I see them on platforms I didn't know about. So it's it means a lot to me to hear and to hear, you know, if people, if it does help or they resonate, uh, I certainly love to hear from people, to hear their story and how we can support them. I think that's so fantastic. So I will put links to all of this in my show notes and people can look you up because you have so many amazing things. I didn't even know about your permission to pivot group. That's fantastic. Can't wait to find out more about that. And I just want to keep having our conversation going. And at this point, I'm going to say, let's take five minutes and just talk about how people can join our conversation live because you and I are going to meet in real life coming up in like a month. I cannot wait. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about this amazing ACE conference in San Antonio that is for women physicians. And you and I are both going to be there and we would love to have a conversation with all of y'all, all All of y'all. I'm not even texting. All of y'all. I do live in Texas now, so I can say all y'all, but I appreciate it when you say all y'all. I I say you guys and apparently it's offensive. So yeah, I I, I slip that out too. Sometimes I don't mean to be offensive. Sorry. You don't mean to be offensive. You guys. Yes, exactly. I was just going to say, you guys, we don't mean to be offensive. You guys, we don't mean to be offensive. We're saying it as a joke. Yeah, yeah, that's just it. But if I say, hey, ladies, that's offensive to some people too. So we just, we love all of the people. And come join us in San Antonio. So now you are a like master representative. Yes, I am the ACE. I am the ACE ambassador and I'll tell you all about it. So ACE is Authenticity, Courage and Empowerment. It's a group, it's a conference for women physicians and dentists. It's going to be in San Antonio, April 28th and May 1st. And the reason I became part of it is because I went to a QA and a and I showed up as my authentic self. I was vulnerable because at this point in life, you just are. And uh, really enjoyed. So the founders are Don Sears, Dina George, and Nora Vasquez. All and, wonderful, amazing women physicians. And they have poured their heart and soul into this conference. And the conference is a place to have a supportive community, to come and rest, to come and rejuvenate. And the difference is, you know, we think a lot about the hustle culture that we're in and I need to do more, do more, do more. And what we're telling you is burnout, recovery requires that permission to rest. 
and to have a supportive community and to slow down. So we'll have such great talks. Let's hear about yours. What's your talk? Okay. Wow. Thanks for asking. Mm -hmm. I am going to be doing a talk entitled, we need a better solution for burnout. Mm -hmm. Right. So my listeners have heard me talk about this before, but I'm going to be giving it, you know, talk about it because I have some ideas up my sleeve. There can probably be some interaction because I don't have all the answers, but I certainly have a story to share and some ideas. And it's going to be so amazing because there's so many wonderful speakers Mm -hmm. and there's time to meet others. So you can come alone and you'll leave with many friends. You could grab a girlfriend and come on down. What else are we missing? It's in a beautiful resort setting. I just oh can't wait. God. San Antonio is amazing. Yeah, I used to live there if anyone has questions about it. But um, you can meet our group starting now. Uh, we are already yes. meeting on Sundays at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. In order to get the information on that, you sign up for the mailing list at East. Um, at the, for Dina George, she has the link and you can reach out to me to get you that link as well to sign up for that mailing list so that you get the Zoom link for those Sunday community hours, which is such a great time to get to know who's going to be there. And we have different topics that are discussed. This next topic is going to be on anger uh, with our PETA, who if, you know, if you go over to Instagram, you might see we did an Instagram live uh, and you can meet a little bit more about us. Wow. Fantastic. So I just invite everybody to come on down. It's going to be amazing. And you better tell them, I guess, where the Instagram is Ace Conference 2022. I think it's the Instagram handle on that one. Wonderful. Well, I'm so glad we snuck that in. We probably should have led with that, but I'll... <laughs> I always promise that my dog will make a scene yes. and I did not disappoint. Well, I am so glad that your dog showed up. And I am so glad that you took this time today. I really think that we'll probably have to have another conversation because I hate to even wrap this up. I feel like there's so many more things I want to talk about. But again, I just want to thank you for being so brave and vulnerable and sharing your story because this will make a difference for many, many people. And I appreciate it. I mean, your whole podcast, we talked a little bit about if for people that are listening here or wanting to know a little bit more about sleep, if you want to point them to your most recent sleep podcast. That one was very helpful. Yeah. With Dr. Laura Vodder. I can't recall what number it was, um, but it was maybe 10 ago or so. Yeah. I like to put her on the spot here, but I'm sure, you know, you can do a little search and navigate and along the way you might find some additional topics. I actually love to not know exactly where to find things because then you find additional little little nuggets. jewels along the way, just like going to the grocery store yes. or any you know store of choice. You kind of yes. go in, with meander a- around, and find the joy of the journey. Yes, I love it. Absolutely. So love good. It. Well, I am so delighted that you took this time today, and I'm so thrilled that I get to meet you in real life in a month in San Antonio. I can't wait, and I hope others join us. Thanks, Jillian. Bye. Thanks. Are you ready to take control of your life and put these tools into action? I'm here to help. I offer free consultations for physician moms to see if my one-on-one coaching package is right for you. You can sign up for a free consult at www.mamadoclifecoach.com.